Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, guys. DGS on KMOX 205. Uh, so last night was election night, and I uh, wanted to have John Hancock come on and just kind of give us a 30,000-foot view of some of the trends and how the momentum is looking. And he joins us now. Hey, John. Hey there. Good to be with you guys. Thank you, pal. Uh, so I'm just going to throw it over to you. I mean, I watched the results last night. I, I listened to the pundits. I made some notes, but you, you, you're you starting out so much farther down the road than I am. So what did you make of it? What should people know? Well, it was, uh, it was a good night for abortion rights, clearly. Uh, I think seven states passed some version of abortion access. Uh, that's now thematic across the country, and you're seeing that in states after states, conservative states, liberal states. So that's kind of lesson one. Lesson two is that that issue, the abortion issue, plays in suburban districts. And so if you look at the Virginia House of Delegates and the Virginia Senate, both chambers that Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin thought he had a chance to hold the the House and and take the Senate, uh, they failed in both counts. So the Democrats now have control of both chambers there in the Commonwealth. That's a big Virginia has historically been a fairly decent harbinger of what's going to happen a year hence. Uh, They have the governor's election the year after the presidential election, and that usually is an indicator of how the president is doing, at least somewhat. So, you know, I think it's a good night. A bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Governor Tate Reeves was reelected in Mississippi, the Republican. He had a stiff challenge. Uh, And Governor Bashir, the Democrat, was reelected in Kentucky, and Republicans, I think, thought they had a shot there. I think on balance, it's a pretty good night for the Democrats. I don't think it tells us a great deal about the presidential race, but it is a bit of a sneak peek into the congressional races that are going to take place next year all across the country. So two questions. I agree with you. It seemed like the center left had a good night. And I'm wondering whether you think that that is uh, an anti-Trump thing. Is it younger voters kind of thing? Or is it maybe not even traceable to to one particular thing? Yeah, I I don't know that uh, now that there was a potentially a Trump effect in Kentucky where he had uh, Trump had endorsed the Republican candidate for governor. I don't know how big of a deal that was. Andy Bashir is pretty popular. But I do think in these swingy suburban districts, I do think the abortion issue is going to be significant across the country. And here in Missouri, we're likely to have or could have uh, an abortion ballot 
amendment on the on the ballot in November next year as well, uh, which will enhance the impact uh, of that issue. And it's an issue that if you just look at the polling, I mean, the country would like to have abortion allowed in some instances. And there's differing degrees of how legal it should be for how long and in what circumstances. But just generally, that's where the public sentiment is on the issue. And those of us like I am who are pro-life may wish it otherwise, but that doesn't change the fundamental political reality that's that's set out before us. Yeah, it kind of seems like the abortion issue and the Dobbs decision is the dog catching the car and regretting it because now they their snouts planted in the back of the car. Um, one thing I hate about politics, I understand that if it, if you're debating should we build a bridge or something, you can negotiate and you can move it with the public sentiment. But I'm watching in real time. As Republicans and the right and the pro-lifers are panicking because it seems the country does not agree with them about that. And they seem to be having these discussions about, okay, we need to move away from this abortion talk. And that bothers me because, well, stand by your guns. I know a lot of people are. A lot of my friends are. A lot of my fellow broadcasters are. But – the powers that be, it seems, are saying this is bad for us. It could lose us the election. We made a mistake. We need to soften our approach on abortion, which to me is not like softening your approach on whether we build a bridge or not. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's an issue of principle. And, and I think most candidates are going to abide by their principles. Here's the thing about these cultural issues, whether they're cultural issues on the right, like pro-life or cultural issues on the left, like transgender You can elect enough people to legislate stuff like that, but if it's unpopular among the populace and if the populace doesn't like that policy, the populace is going to fix it and they're going to change it. And you, you don't win a cultural debate at the ballot box. You win a cultural debate in the hearts and minds of people. And I think the pro-life movement, my movement, I think got a little too focused on, changing the seats in the Supreme Court and changing state legislative district members and spent relatively less time trying to change the hearts and minds of the public about what abortion really is, because that's where that debate needs to occur and should occur. And it's the same with all of these cultural issues. The society is going to make a consensus and they're going to determine how they want to deal with these kinds of issues. Good point. And the place the place to deal with them is in is in people's hearts. We're talking to John Hancock, our buddy from Hancock and Kelly. You can usually hear them on our show Fridays at three p.m. Uh, John, you, we all know what it feels like to go to a sporting event and you feel the momentum change. And even if you don't understand the rules of the game you're watching, you can feel it happening on the field. And I'm feeling that with Joe Biden, uh, David Axelrod, who I think is a very smart, reasonable guy, uh, is not coming out and saying, "Joe, you need to." Uh, withdraw, but he's basically saying it without saying it. Uh, Congressman Tim Ryan, who I also think is smart and reasonable, is coming out and saying it. Dean Phillips is running against him. Uh, Michael Kelly, your partner, saying, I'm not sure Joe Biden's going to be the guy. Are you sensing this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if there's a coordinated effort to, to make a change there, and I believe there is, I don't know there is, but I believe there is. If there's a coordinated effort to make a change, you would see a lot of the little indicators that we've already seen. The Walter Isaacson piece in the New York Times eight or 10 weeks ago, kind of hinting at maybe Biden should step aside. You know, I don't think those things happen organically. They, they can, but I don't think they are in this instance. Axelrod, a very high profile voice coming out. 
And I do think there is growing sentiment among the Democrats that Joe Biden might be the one guy in the country that can't beat Trump, and they're freaking out. And so I, I think we may be in the middle of a political operation right now that is going to, over time, get Joe Biden to where many Democrats believe he needs to be, and that is stepping aside. And, and is, if, is there if that time, John? Happened, is there time even just oh, like, yeah. okay, they can do the yeah. filings and everything? Okay. So there's a sweet spot in the timing. He's got to get out before the first caucuses start after the first of the year. So it'll have to be next month, probably. And they don't want it to be too soon that they create a free-for-all and everybody decides they're going to run for president because that's no good. And I'm pretty sure they've got their horse, and I'm pretty sure it's Gavin Newsom. And I'm pretty sure they're going to time this thing so that Newsom, who has money, who has moderated somewhat in terms of what he has vetoed in California Mm -hmm. over the last months. Hello. Mm -hmm. And I I think they're going to position him. He's going to have money. He's going to walk into those primaries and caucuses. And, you know, if the Democrats can do what they want, he'll run the table. Plus, they have got uh, 500 or so superdelegates that aren't elected at primaries or caucuses. That's unique to the Democrats. And they'll be able to have those people as a block to kind of exert their preferences at the convention if it comes to that. So um, I think that's what's happening. I could be wrong, but I think that's what's happening. Uh, so, John, the third and, I guess, final primary debate on the Republican side is tonight. We discussed this at the top of the show. I want your opinion. Other than for political nerds like us or pure entertainment, why would people watch tonight, given the fact that it's almost assured that short of a, a felony conviction, Donald Trump will be the candidate? Well, it's like trying to figure out who's going to play the clarinet on the Titanic. Uh, You know, I I don't know that there's going to be much relevance here. The only sliver of possibility, and I mean sliver, is if one of these candidates emerges as the lone opposition to Donald Trump. That would require the other four stepping aside. Mm. Uh, And if one of them should, and if you get into a binary choice going into Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina, there is a chance, small though it may be, that that one candidate could emerge as the nominee. And the one best position for that is Nikki Haley. But the odds of that happening, Dave, or, you know, go buy a Powerball ticket. Yeah. John, what would you say are the the possibilities that what we see in the national polling just on the Republican side, not anybody versus Biden, but just the group there, and then maybe just the top contenders, so DeSantis and Haley and obviously Trump. What do you think of the of the likelihood that the representation in the prime in the uh, you know in Iowa, in New Hampshire, when we get to these positions where it's just that group of people voting, how much do they reflect kind of the mood of everyone across the country, or or, or are they different groups? Yeah, they're, I mean, the people that the people that go to a caucus uh, and stand in line for three hours and listen to speeches from people that don't know either any of the candidates and, and uh, cast a vote and go home. And that's a very small subset of the general public. Yeah, they are passionate. They're involved. They're committed. Uh, and they don't look very much like the electorate as a whole. That's true in both parties. Uh-huh. So what, what's the chance that something could happen in Iowa that would look really strange to all of us compared to what we're seeing in the polls with Trump being so far ahead of everybody. Yeah. So there's always a surprise in Iowa and without, I can't think of a time where there wasn't, but I don't think we're talking about a surprise at the level of that Donald Trump's not going to win. Right. right. It'll be a surprise that, wow, Chris Christie finished third. 
you know, that kind of thing. Uh, But I I just don't see, short of it being a two-way race between Trump and, say, Nikki Haley, then I think maybe, you know, there could be something that's shocking that comes out of that. But, you know, short of that, uh, I think you're looking at Donald Trump as as the nominee. All right, John, thank you. We appreciate it, pal. You bet, guys. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. DGS. Well, it's official. Israel and Gaza has divided the DGS. Oh, no. We're still all buddies. We're still buddies. No. Kevin and Andrew are just going at it on the break. Yeah, Kevin's my brother. If I didn't feel like I could have this conversation with Kevin, I just wouldn't. But I know I can because he's he's my boy. Put it this way. If you're not close to me, I'm probably not going to argue with you. I also feel like there are there are the the conversation was turning in a weird way that I had to nip it in the bud a little bit. Like, I felt like the conversation was turning to where Kevin is thinking I'm supporting Hamas. No, and I'm like, that's not no, what's, I'm no. not, sub, I'm not in support of them. No, I know that. I am extremely not in support of them. It's just, you know, every, I, mean, I would like to minimize casualties. It's interesting because and I know we don't need to relitigate all of it, but it's interesting as we all continue, because how can you not continue to talk about this stuff? We've all continued to talk about it and it, it, it just seems impossible, right? I mean, these fights that we're talking about have been going on. For thousands of years. What makes us think that in our time now, we're going to be the ones, and, and by and, we, I mean the this, population, how, are going to yeah. fix it. How yeah. passionate the opinions are here within our group on the show. Yeah. And how far removed we are. Yep. Yeah. We're not in harm's way. That's right. And we're still screaming at each other. Right. And so the people who are actually in harm's way how much more impassioned their opinions are. And I do think it's interesting, and it's and this is why I think all of this is so difficult, right? How can our government, how can our people, how can we say to another government, don't do what we did? That's a really hard stance to take, right? Because as soon as you say, show restraint, hold back, they're going to say, you didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why, and, and I'm not saying that justified anything. I'm just saying that it is a very thorny, difficult thing, and it's, and yeah. unfortunately, 
on on the extreme pushback on this, it's being oversimplified. But this is the most complicated problem on the planet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it, in you its know, root, it's a religious fight. This is anecdotal, but it was very interesting. I saw last night uh, people being asked the same question who are in Israel and in Gaza, saying if you could have a two-state solution and be guaranteed that it would be peaceful, would you take it? Mm-hmm. And not one person said yes. No Israeli said yes. They said this is our land. It's not their land. And every Palestinian said, no, I wouldn't take that because we can't trust Israel. Well, it was just very mm-hmm. instructive. That's why it's never it's not going to get fixed. I mean, this will be a problem after we're all long gone. 235 DGS on KMOX coming up at 3 p.m. Uh, Wiggins, who used to be on my show, who's now down on 97.1, is going to be sitting in with us. Rach is in Japan. And she will be back. I think she gets back like Friday, Saturday. Yeah, she'll be back like with us on Monday. Uh, I will be out Friday. Wheels will take over because it is Dad's Day at Tri-Delt. Look at you. And so Nick and I are going to go down, and we're going to see a KU basketball game on Friday. Then we're going to do the Delta tailgate. What's that sound weird? Is there an open thing? That's Brad. Oh, okay. Uh, and then we're going to see the KU football game. Nice. Are you going to be DJing like Will Ferrell did? I don't think anyone wants to see that. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm nearly the big deal. Although Phoebe has these four uh, guy friends who she is very close with, and they're obsessed with the fact that I'm quote-unquote famous, and uh, I sent them all DGS skull caps. Nice. And they took a picture wearing them, so that's, that'll be fun. That's, I'm going to take you, them you all might out be. and treat them for looking out for Phoebe. You so. might be on the... Uh, Turntables. Could be. You might end up there, I'll Dave. take my chance. <laughs> uh, Brad Young, uh, attorney extraordinaire, joins us. And uh, Brad, welcome, first of all. Thanks, Dave. This could get a little into weeds, but if anyone can get us out of the weeds, it's you. <laughs> uh, the Supreme Court is hearing a case about guns, who you can take them from, when you can take them from them. And there was a not particularly attractive case for uh, the gun lobby about this horrible guy that seemed to settle every dispute he had by firing a gun illegally. And uh, evidently the oral arguments were quite interesting. And the people who are in favor of gun control think this could be their first uh, gain of ground in uh, the Supreme Court in recent years. Uh, flesh all that out for us. Well, it, this is an interesting case because the defendant here, uh, Mr. Rahimi, he is not a good guy. All right. So it, at least when you have cases where you have a sympathetic client, it, it makes it easier to make the argument. Mr. Rahimi is not that. Uh, he has a history of uh, beating his girlfriend. He, in this particular instance, when he was arrested, he shoved her head into the dashboard, threw her into the car where she hit her head. I believe she had a concussion. He had a gun and kept firing the gun in the air. He fired the gun at other people. Uh, he, he claimed he was just trying to 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 shoo them away, but uh, you know, nevertheless, he's discharging firearms. So the question becomes: as a domestic abuser, can his uh, his firearm right under the Second Amendment be? Curtailed. Now, in the Bruin case from last year, the Supreme Court basically set forth this idea. They didn't use this language, but then again, it took them 75 pages to say it. I'll say it in 20 seconds. Uh, it's basically that if you're going to restrict 
the Second Amendment right, just like any other right in the in the Bill of Rights, there has to be a historical precedence for doing that. So when you look at this instance, there's not a historical precedence for restraining the gun rights of domestic abusers because as a society, we haven't really dealt with that as an issue uh, for the last 200 years. It's a relatively recent phenomenon where we're finally dealing with the real crime. It's always been a crime, at least ethically, but we're recognizing that it's a crime for domestic abuse. But in this instance, Dave, I really don't think that that it's going to be a five to four uh, in favor of allowing domestic abusers to own firearms. I don't think the case is going to be that close. So just to simplify it even more, Brad, basically the Supreme Court are saying unless the founding fathers would have taken guns from a guy beating his wife, we don't have standing to do it. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, they, the, the, the justices in Bruin said there has to be a historical precedence for it. Uh, and so that wouldn't necessarily mean uh, that uh, George Washington had to be in favor of it in order for it to be the case now. And one can make the argument here, even going back uh, to the Revolutionary War, that there's a precedence for removing firearms. Keep in mind that in the, in the late 1700s, uh, we as a country routinely took weapons away from British sympathizers, uh, from drug dealers. There's been a historical precedence of, of denying drug dealers and drug users firearms. You know, just ask Hunter Biden. So, um, so that's not anything that's new. So I think in this case, uh, certainly because of the safety factor of we, we really don't want domestic abusers to be having firearms. I do think the Supreme Court's going to say this is like what we said mm-hmm. uh, in one of the earlier cases of Heller versus U.S., that uh, the, the Second Amendment, like any other amendment, can have reasonable restrictions. And this is going to be found to be reasonable. And Brad, uh, obviously, people on the right are going to say slippery slope and then give an inch, you're going to take a mile. Do you see this case if it does come out against the gun owner as being that or is it pretty much a an isolated area? (laughs) Well, well, Dave, first of all, uh, let me uh, full confession. All right. I have made slippery slope arguments before in court. I will admit that having given you that confessional statement. I will also say that rarely, if ever, are slippery slope arguments meaningful or persuasive mm-hmm. because the idea is that even on a slippery slope, that there's most oftentimes there's a ledge. And on that ledge, that's when you have an opportunity to step back from the slipping and the sliding. And so in this instance, yeah, it, it, I don't see a slippery slope argument being valid because Uh, Even the attorney for Mr. Rahimi was asked by Samuel Alito. This was a great question. Uh, Alito said, are you saying to this court that there are no circumstances where a person can be have their right to own a gun removed unless they're a convicted felon? And he answered, "Um, well, maybe. Hmm. Well, listen, if you're in front of the Supreme Court, maybe (laughs) is never an answer. No. No. I pick an answer, flip yeah. a coin, but you never say maybe. And then Justice uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett got really ticked at, at an attorney in front of the Supreme Court saying maybe. Oh, that he, that that was the kiss of death right there. Let me ask you, switching topics here to the Trump case. 
and specifically the day that Donald Trump testified and the weird back and forth with the judge and uh, then the weird statement by his attorney um, and people, I, I see attorneys online now really roasting her and this is not the way that anyone has ever acted in court before. This is so crazy. People of America don't think this is the way the legal system works. What were your takes on all this? <laughs> Well, I I always think that there's that there's uh, no such thing as a coincidence. All right, things happen for a reason, and in this instance, even though everybody knows Donald Trump can't be, you can't rail him in, you can't put a muzzle on him, you can't control him. I truly think that this was so over the top that it was a calculated strategy to say if the president or the former president can goad the judge into saying something that demonstrates a level of objective bias by the judge, then that provides a basis on appeal to show that the judge's decision, which we all know what it's going to be, whatever the maximum is, that's what this judge is going to do. Yeah. Uh, but this is a this was a calculated strategy to show that the judge is biased in order to throw out the, the judgment on appeal. So you think Trump is crazy like a fox and the judge took the bait? Oh, I would not say that Trump is crazy like a fox. I would say that in this instance, it was a strategy uh, to try to provoke the judge. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other times that, you know, he just says moronic things. and I don't think there's any uh, foxiness about it. Gotcha. All right. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it, pal. My pleasure. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. 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 No, Brad's good. It's, but it's also, it's just like, there, are, and it seems like it's becoming more of a tactic in just general. Yeah life to just throw as much flack into the air mm -hmm. and hopefully that'll just clear the space and you won't get nailed on the one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And by nailed, I mean even questioned, you know, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily mean convicted. It's hard to keep up with everything. There's yeah. some saying if you have the facts on your side, pound the facts. If you have the law on your side, pound the law. If you have neither, pound the desk. <laughs> you know, just like muddy the water. Yeah. But we all know that fighting with significant others you know, and mm -hmm. you you really do have the high ground. And 20 minutes later, you, you gave it up. You said something stupid. Now you're the bad guy. You know, we've all been through that. It works in court as well. So you want to hear an example of how the healthcare system is just crazy? Uh, the good news is for anyone who has ever suffered postpartum or had their wife suffer postpartum, it's terrible. And uh, they have evidently created a drug that works great. And it works quickly, within three days, and it alleviates 90% of the symptoms of postpartum depression. Uh, problem is, it is $16,000 for three weeks, 14 days, two weeks. $16,000 for two weeks of pills. Now, they say that insurance should cover most or all of it, but we all know how that works. If your insurance company is paying out $16,000 or whatever discounted they get, for two weeks of treatments for people, everyone's they're gonna they're gonna send it back to us. Now, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a researcher, I don't develop drugs. I'm sure it's a very expensive process to go through, but how anything like you're failing. You're mm -hmm. failing. You're you're mm -hmm. succeeding at creating drugs at work, but if there's sixteen thousand dollars for two weeks, you failed because no one can afford that. Yep. It's uh I have said it many times. I feel very strongly about it. Everyone involved in the executive level uh, of the healthcare system in this uh, country should be ashamed of themselves. So it's the worst industry in America, not even close, not even guns come close here. Here's the interesting thing about like the idea, because you're right. Those things are expensive and all of that. 
Andrew's dropping bombs today. Great. Uh, The pharmaceutical industry in 2021 generated $550 billion in revenue. They can cover their own research costs. They sure can. I mean, I don't understand how. I mean, that's not all profit, right? That's revenue. But, I mean, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Uh, let me switch over to the Dusty Baker thing. Can you read that quote for me? Yeah, yeah. So Dusty obviously retired for the second time. Yeah. He's getting older. I think he's 74 now, yeah. so it's probably the last time. Uh, and he was doing a, a, a podcast. I think it's a podcast with uh, – oh, yeah, it was it was with uh, Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley um, and talking about the reasons why he walked away. And he said this – is, this is a direct quote – there was a whole bunch of criticism from 30-year-olds and bloggers and tweeters that I'm not doing this and I don't know that. And I told my wife, you know, I'm kind of tired of this and tired of the scrutiny. If I could just go manage and show up at, say, 6.30 for a 7 o'clock game and leave 30 minutes after the game uh, and not do the pre- and the post-game stuff, I could manage for another four or five years. You know what I mean? That really hit me. Yeah, it hits me in a different way. Tell me. Well, that that <laughs> strikes me as I'm too old for this crap. Oh, uh, okay. I mean... First of all, even if you had nothing to do with pre- and post-game interviews, he knows you can't get there a half hour before the game. Yeah, that's obvious. I mean, there's three or four hours of prep that's going to go into that, if not more. I mean, these guys are getting the—players and managers for a 7 o'clock game, they're getting there 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, the latest would be 3. I mean, like, so he's saying I can't do this routine. And I find the whole thing—like, this this whole thing to me is hilarious because in sports— Players, coaches, front office people, all they ever do is say, we don't read the papers. We don't listen to talk radio. Really? Well, why is he saying that that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I do it? So either they're BS, he's BSing about that or he's BSing about this. Because Why would you care what anybody says? You're the manager of the team. You, what you do is what's going to matter. All that matters is you've got your players. If you've got your clubhouse and your front office, nothing else matters. Why would that bother you? You're getting paid a lot of money. You you are you don't have to go talk to those people that are doing that. You don't. It's not like you're going to be meeting with them every day, and answering questions. I mean, I've been in a million of those pre and post game things. They're easy if you handle it. I mean, and Dusty's great, by the way. I think Dusty's one of the all time greats. He's a great guy, but that's why I say my overall read on that is I'm too old for this crap. I'm done with all of this. I can't do all of the job. Well, if you can't do all, if you can't be there at two o'clock in the afternoon, you can't manage. Nobody's, you can't show up. It's it's like saying, let me be like you saying, you know what? I don't want to do any of the show prep. It's too much. I don't want to do any meetings. I don't want to have to sign contracts. I just want to show up a half an hour before my show and leave right after the show. Like, you know, that doesn't work. It just tells you that you don't want to do that job anymore. I do feel him on the extra added criticism though because not everyone's like you yeah not everyone has eight skins you know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean like he's been around the sport his entire life he was drafted as a little young guy but and i'm not just saying but i understood him because i think it's the difference between when we were teenagers we could get in some social trouble we could get outed by someone on Mm. something uh but we had like four people to deal with now a, t- a teenager could have 10,000 overnight. And I think that it's probably similar to that. 
that he's always had sports guys. He's always had sports writers who are writing articles about how stupid he is and why did he do this? Why did he pull that picture? Blah, blah, blah. But now it's just so exponential. And in a way that, again, to your point, a 74-year-old guy doesn't understand the way that a 34-year-old guy would understand. But it kind of hit home for me. Yeah, I mean, you my, make good points. My advice to Dusty would be then don't read it. What What are you reading? If you If you don't like Twitter, don't go on Twitter. Everything's so simple. For well, him. why are you not on Twitter? <laughs> I need I need a transfusion from you. Why are yeah. you not on Twitter? That sounded because you don't want to deal with the BS, right? I'm trying to make. I mean, you could tell Dusty jokes. that. I wish well, I had Kevin's yeah. brain. Yeah, it's got its pluses and minuses. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the pluses, but there are minuses. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 